You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host today, Liz MacArthur, and joining me as my guest is Sean McPherson. He is a master's student in the Department of English. Hi, Sean. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. Maybe you can refine my description of what your graduate studies are. Sure. Um, I am a graduate student through the Department of English and also in an interdisciplinary program, uh, CSPT, Cultural, Social, and Political Thought, which is a critical theory-based program between various departments, history, English, political science, sociology, others, they can get involved. So yeah, I work with a lot of different departments. Okay, so how does that all tie in? What exactly do you study then? Because you're in English, but also this interdisciplinary thing. Um, Maybe give us a tangible example. Yeah, so generally, I think that most people would think of English studies as literature, um, maybe film, you know, the, the University of Alberta has the film studies tied in with their English. But um, for people studying CSPT, they get away from the more strictly literary studies. And they tend to study critical theory, um, continental philosophy, and these sorts of things. And so it's, it's much more um, talking about cultural studies and these sorts of things. And then you, do you apply it to things like literature, or is it just about it's, The nice thing about the program is that it's really, uh, it's, it's really open-ended. So once you get into the program, you have a lot of freedom, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people to the program, is that they have this, this freedom to explore some really cool conceptual ideas that maybe take them away from literature, but often people kind of pull back to their native department. So... A lot of English CSPT students will apply that work to literature studies or literary studies. Mm-hmm. Do you do that? What do you study specifically? Uh, I actually do not study literature, much to the chagrin of my colleagues in the English department. Oh. Um, I get some dirty looks when I say that I don't take literature classes. Uh, I tend to study more of the cultural studies end of things, specifically um, popular technologies, new media studies, mm-hmm. um, the maker movement. That's my focus. Okay. What's the maker movement? So the maker movement is this, uh, it's hard to define. It's, it's this emerging movement of hackers and DIY practitioners and artists and just, um, inventors who, um, work in an open source community to share their ideas Mm -hmm. and to build stuff. So you'll see these maker fairs. They're starting to become popular maker spaces where people get together and they just, develop their projects, you know, the, the kind of popular front is little robots that do things or weird devices that, you know, tweeting refrigerators and things like that. Tweeting, so, what's a tweeting refrigerator? You know, it's just an example of a maker project. So um, you can attach a sensor to your refrigerator and um, it'll tell you how much milk you have in your oh. milk slot and tweet it. So you can check your Twitter on your way to your... <laughs> On, on your way home to your grocery store and you can see if you need to pick up milk or something. There's examples online and like I said, it's all open source. And so, mm-hmm. um, so what does the that impetus make? is to share the open source means that any code that you make, any, anything you build, you share the design, you share the code freely without charging for people so that people can try to make it. They can take your design as long as they give you credit for it. Um, which is just an ethical practice. They can change it, they can alter it, and then they share it back. So it's it's cool for people who practice in the open source movement because they can see their work evolve mm-hmm. from different people thinking about it. So it's it's really a it's really a nice economy of creativity and innovation that takes place. 
So I could take the tweeting refrigerator and I could turn it into something. A tweeting else. microwave? Yeah, okay. <laughs> a tweeting dog bowl? Uh-huh. Any sort of, all sorts of things. Do we have a very big maker community in Victoria? It's a disparate community. Um, you see the different pockets. Like I mentioned before, you have artists, you have inventors, you have hobbyists, hackers. And from the experience I've had, my very limited experience, just sort of looking into the different communities, there's the makerspace, um, which is based in Victoria, but a Canada-wide project. You have uh, Limbic Media Studios, who is a, they're an art gallery who does interactive exhibits based on open source technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's probably a lot going on at UVic that we're just starting to kind of understand and, and become aware of. Um, the project that I work with is the Maker Lab in the Humanities, which is a new lab, mm-hmm. just opened... September. It's in the Technology Enterprises Facility Building, and uh, we're just getting our, you know, we're getting our feet moving with the maker stuff, and we're looking to reach out and kind of unite these different. Mm-hmm. So, what are you doing? Are you creating this open source code, or are you trying to like um, curate it, or what? Well, remember that I'm studying it, right? right okay, now, <laughs> which sounds really exciting, right? To just study mm-hmm. code. Um, I'm dabbling in it. I think that once my studies are finished that I'm going to I'm going to really like mm-hmm. kind of become keen on that. that so what movement. does studying it entail? Like what are you right. specifically looking for and what have you seen? So this the I I'm taking a case study and it's this device called Arduino, which mm-hmm. is a, a small inexpensive microcontroller basically to really simplify the description. You plug it in to a USB port. You plug in sensors. You plug in actuators or um, little devices that express something, express an action or some sort of thing like a light or a sound um, or a robot's arm. Mm -hmm. And you program this little controller so that whatever sensory input it gets, your sketch, your programmed sketch on the board translates it into an output. So open the refrigerator door, that triggers a sensor. The the program running on the microcontroller converts that into data that would then be sent out to a Twitter feed. Hmm. How did... Yeah, go Sorry, and so I'm studying this as a cultural artifact. Hmm. Um, And this is where the work, the critical work in CSPT comes into play, is looking at how we interact with technologies and how, Hmm. um, how... these technologies have evolved alongside culture, alongside society, and as a result of society. And how do they inform society? Hmm. Yeah, how do they? Inf- how? How? That's a, that's a great. How question. are we growing along with this technology, and what does it mean for us? Well, I think if you think about the political implications of open source, it's really interesting. You have this. You know, there's many different ways to look about look at and how these sorts of movements come up. Um, I think that they're related to this notion that um, the black box sort of model for technologies, so by by black box I mean something like an iPod, which if you try to open it, you're going to break it, Mm -hmm. right? So this this history of of proprietary technologies, often expensive and inaccessible, has, has been countered culturally by... Movements of people who seek to make technology available and usable to pe- for people, for the broad population, the broad public. And so open source is political insofar that 
um, you're responding to capitalism in a sense. You're saying that rather than buy these tools, we're just going to make our own. And rather than buy this tool that maybe does one thing kind of that I need it to do, I'm going to, I'm going to make this tool that does exactly what I want it to do. Something that doesn't even exist yet. And so that's where it's really exciting. So there's this, there's a sense of innovation within open source movements that informs this political pushback, I think. Hmm. Has studying this changed your own view uh, or has it changed your own politics? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think that just in the course of being in the community of, you know, the humanities, the social sciences, um, talking to people in the maker movement, talking to people in the broad sort of academic environment, I think that's informed my politics. So it's hard to say if studying this particular technology has informed my politics or if the broader sense of graduate studies has informed my politics, which has mm -hmm. then informed how I look at this, mm -hmm. this particular research. Hmm. Is this what you set out to study when you began doing your graduate studies? Not exactly. Um, I I did my undergraduate here, mm -hmm. um, and I finished in 2011. In English, right? In English, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. And I, I had a professional writing minor through the English department, which is an awesome program. Um, so it's, it's just basic, like, technical and professional writing skills that you learn. I was in a directed reading working in a the HCMC, the Humanities Computing Media Center, which is a lab that does digital humanities projects in the Clearview building. And the project was XML editing. I was editing XML for a, an online exhibit. Mm -hmm. And this was right at the end of my undergraduate degree. Um, I was also taking my first forays into critical studies. Um, I was taking a class in post-humanism which is a really, you, know, you talk about cyborgs and hmm. human-animal hybrids and awesome, cool things like that. So it's, it's the sexy critical theory. Um, so I was taking that at the same time as I was working in this digital field. And so these critical questions were coming up for me, and I was working and noticing that I was finding all these sort of areas where critical questions could be asked in digital studies that I didn't know at the time were being asked. And I think some of them are being asked, but some of them aren't. So basically this kind of serendipitous collusion or sorry, collision of digital work and critical work came together for me. And I decided that I wanted to pursue critical studies of technologies hmm. and digital practice. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got <laughs> to where I am roughly. That started me on my journey. Yeah. When you were in your undergrad, did you ever expect it to turn into something like this? I had no expectations. I signed up for the master's program in English about two months before I finished my undergrad degree. I had no plans to do grad school. I'm really glad I did. Mm -hmm. I think that it was, you know, I talked to some people who had planned all along to do it mm -hmm. or knew by the second year or knew by the third year that they wanted to do graduate studies. And I didn't really know until this actually came up, this, um, idea that I could do critical work and work in digital studies or technology studies. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Did you go straight through high school, through university, doing your undergrad and then into your master's program? No, I'm an old man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you do? How did I, that happen? How did, all, how did it all fall into place for you? I graduated quite a while ago from high school, and um, I played music with bands. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun doing that for a lot of years. I worked in restaurants. I bartended, waited tables. I 
cooked food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I traveled. I traveled uh, to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, what made you want to come back to school? Just just to start something new. I I kind of suspected all along that I would want to go back to school. Um, I originally came back to school. I went to Camosun and I took some English philosophy creative writing courses um, just to see what I would like to do. Um, and I just found that reading was really helping writing and helping my thoughts. So I, I ended up settling on English mm-hmm. as a discipline to work through. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that reading was helping your thought process and then you settled on English, but you weren't necessarily like super passionate about literature and that's why you wind up with an English degree. Right, which is maybe why I draw the ire of my mm. colleagues who are, you know, I'm constantly impressed by their level of knowledge with literature and their 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 passion and by no means do I hate literature. I love literature and I've like had some amazing um, classes throughout the last few years and I've definitely like you know I'll always value the study of literature and the study of literature that I've undertaken in mm-hmm. the past um, but I've never really had a plan I've just kind of gone with it and I'm really enjoying what I love about grad school and what I love about school is just the environment you get to talk to people you get to have really interesting conversations it's really fun mm-hmm. you know people are interested in talking about conceptual ideas and work that you know isn't really being done Mm -hmm. elsewhere it's fun and so being around that environment i thought i might as well just keep doing this i'm really selling it right (laughs) (laughs) so this okay so you love the environment does that mean you're going to continue on do you want to do your phd in what you're studying right now i don't know Hmm. um i know that for the next year or so i'm going to probably ease off the gas pedal with academic work for a Mm -hmm. while and um i have a position lined up that has been officially unconfirmed but unofficially confirmed so i'm not going to say where it is but i have some work lined up for the fall which is i'm really excited about doing Mm -hmm. and uh it's related to the field so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm just going to see where that goes as usual yeah (laughs) it's my mantra like just to see where it goes Mm -hmm. but work hard along the way and like get the most out of it so where are you right now in your master's? When did you start and how far away from the finish line are you? Yeah, I started in September 2011. And so generally the English program is between, um, I guess, 16 and sixteen and 20 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stretching mine to 24. I've just had some RA positions and some research work that I've done that's, you know, I I thought I'm not going to kill myself with workloads, so I'm just going to extend it a little bit. But I am all but thesis, I guess Mm. you would say. I'm just working on my final research project, which is a long thesis paper, which I hope to defend the end of August Mm -hmm. or so. So can you talk, let's talk a little bit more about some of these critical questions that were coming up that you're investigating. What are some of these big questions for you? Okay. Um, the one that's been really um, eating up my attention lately in terms of what I've been researching and writing about is how how the subject exists alongside or with or hybridized through technology. Um, so yeah, so I'm wondering, you know, I think the classic question is, is like, how does the computer screen change the way we think, change the way we read? And those are good questions. Um, but I'm looking at 
the space of the interface itself. So what I'm, I'm really interested in right now is how do we think the interface? We think of the interface as the computer screen, maybe the mouse, maybe the keyboard. But what the interface actually is is the relationship between the human and the computer. It's, it's, the, it's the discursive space between the two, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the work that I've been... I guess the authors I've been reading have been kind of grappling with these ideas of, well, if we think of the computer space or the interface, sorry, as on the terms of the computer. So what I mean by that is when we think about the interface, we think about the screen. That's the computer. We don't think about ourselves as the interface. We think about ourselves as interfacing with the interface. And so what does that mean? I think that a lot of um, critical thinkers find that alarming in certain ways it's a complicated question so it's the idea that we're sucked into this cyber environment Mm -hmm. and we're slaves to the computer screen and there's that trope of just like the slack-jawed person with the screened hand who can't actually (laughs) like function outside of this like virtual environment Mm. um the or the um, and that's the, the half lifer, or the the person who plays World of Warcraft and right. doesn't go outside because we're like we're chained to this computer. And I actually my work is interested through Arduino, which I think is an interface. Mm-hmm. So you have this device; it's a computer device, and you you connect it to something and mm-hmm. you, you interact with it. But you don't interact with it through you know typing on a keyboard necessarily. You can interact with it through breathing on it or through. Um, twisting your chair or through closing your refrigerator door. So those are sites of interface, and that's what I'm really interested in. Hmm. And so how does refiguring the site of the interface so that the computer's actually coming to us in a sense? Because if the computer needs to respond to our movements, Hmm. then in a sense it's coming to us, right? We're not going to the computer anymore as the site of the interface. And so that actually does really have, I think, pretty profound epistemological and ontological ramifications. Hmm. In what way? Okay, so just as an example, uh, there's a theorist, a film theorist named Jean-Louis Baudry in the 70s who wrote about the cinema and the, the space of the cinema as being analogous to Plato's allegory of the cave. And just to you know reiterate that allegory, it's the idea that we live in this virtual world removed from the realm of ideas removed from the true reality which is outside which is the physical world whereas we are in fact chained in a cave with our eyes focused on a wall where there's a fire behind us and shadow puppets and we don't see the puppeteers we just see the we just see the representation of a representation of reality so we're we're that far removed from kind of this true knowing and Baudry talks about how the cinema kind of recreates this space. So we're chained into our seats. We can't move around freely. Our eyes are glued. Everything around us has become irrelevant except for the screen. And so this virtual representation of reality is all that exists for us in that moment. So we are, we are held sway by this virtuality. And, you know, a new media scholar might extend that to the computer and say, you know, like this, the framing of the screen is something that profoundly shapes our sense of, of information, of reality, of virtuality. And someone like Jean Baudrillard would say that this is, this is devastating consequences because we enter in this, what he calls the ecstasy of communication, where our constant 
um, interacting at the level of this sort of virtual information, uh, simulated information, essentially reduces reality to a flow of information, of virtual information. And so I know that's very... You know what? It sounds all very like theoretical and complex, but I think you know, in layman's terms, right. it all boils. Right? Yeah, and it boils down to really, I think, things that people can understand. Like you know, yeah. you're glued to your your smartphone, and okay. instead of like experiencing the world through uh, through actual experiences, you're walking down the street, looking at your Twitter feed, and like experiencing your friends' experiences through right. tweets and things like that. Is that what we're talking about? Kind of. Yes. Could that be what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just the idea that you're glued to this screen. It's it's it becomes the metaphor of mm-hmm. being glued to the screen. So basically the research that I'm looking at investigates the ways in which technologies that don't have a screen or that we don't interact with at the level of the screen kind of unglue us from the computer, mm-hmm. so to speak. And these are ideas that are, uh, I mean, obviously you're, you are studying them on a very theoretical abstract level, but these are things that are really pervasive in our society right now. Like even I'm going to go to, I'm going to reference, what is it? The Pirate Bay away from keyboard, which is their like documentary that came out about the Pirate Bay, which is an illegal downloading site. Um, and it's talking about, I think I've only seen the trailer, but in one point they're talking about, they're in court over their illegal downloading service. And mm-hmm. the judge says something about like they're living in this virtual wo- world and they say that, no, that's reality for them. And yeah. they talk about, they just distinguish the two, their digital reality from their like, analog reality as being away from keyboard. So right. they're either like plugged into the screen or away from keyboard, which I thought was really interesting. And I think that's kind of, you know, when it's even... I don't know, in the context of just downloading the idea that we're just separating reality by like away from keyboard or right. I don't yeah. know. Cause I, I don't know. Well, that's, that's just it. I, so the, the salient question in philosophy as with regards to technology is, is this the new reality or mm-hmm. is this an alternate reality? And both answering yes to either of those, you know, raises a lot of other questions, but I think that um, looking at, Technology is this material embodied thing that we interact with in a material embodied way is an interesting way to kind of open up new avenues to explore that, mm-hmm. that question about reality in a sense. Mm-hmm. And sorry, just mm-hmm. to, just to carry on with that. It's nice because it does, it takes you out of the critical and it puts you into the practical, right? So it's the idea that like by, by researching these tools that are actually really accessible and things that even I can use with no, mm-hmm sort of a mechanical background whatsoever or computer programming background. Like I'm actually getting to use this practice. I'm actually getting to say like, all right, you know, I can talk about this all I want, but when I actually sit down to use it or, or work through it, I'm learning a lot about it. I mean, you learn through your hands just as much as you learn through your eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. And you learn different ways. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Uh, you referenced the, the French um, theorist and he was talking about levels of reality and you know, what, we don't actually, we're not plugged into real reality, we're glued right. to the screen. So what then is actual reality? That's, like, the, that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> no, we, nobody has that answer. Only God. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I have another question about the digital. So I was talking to another digital humanities student who brought up the idea that it's sort of criticized as being, some people regard it as an actual 
uh, discipline, whereas other people regard it as just, I guess, the way in which that you approach your sure. actual discipline. What do you think about that? And this sort of ties into reality, I guess, and what is reality? And- yeah, discipline versus practice. Yeah. Um, I see it on a pragmatic level as a practice, but I also see it as uh, a way for humanities scholars and students and thinkers to um, bring their questions into the digital to mm-hmm. the digital realm, to the digital age, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know. I think it's really a matter of opinion, and it's it definitely is a question that divides the community, I think, in, in a healthy sort of debate way. Mm-hmm. But depending on who you ask, you're going to get very different, very different answers. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I think that because I, I spend a lot of time working, you know, I do the research for digital humanities. I, I, I work in the community. Um, but on the same note, I, my, my own research is, is much more about the theory and the criti- critique of it. So I would see it more as the practice side of it. Like hmm. I would see digital humanities as a practice. And how important is it for people who do things like study literature or other aspects of the humanities for it to be incorporated in this digital world, do you think? I think it's great. I think that it, it, um, it chips away at that ivory tower mystique of the humanities, this idea that humanities scholars sit in their offices and read paper books and write weighty manuscripts Mm -hmm. that nobody reads. And I think that this challenges that I think it forces the humanities to circulate a little bit more, to, to reach out to computer sciences, to reach out to engineering, um, because we're starting to become interested in things that these practices have been interested in or these disciplines have been interested in for a long time. And so I think it's a healthy, I think it's definitely a healthy move Hmm. within the humanities to move towards digital humanities. And it's good to think in different ways. It's good to sit down and try to, you know, work through a piece of code or to build a website or to enter in data and make visualizations or to print something on a 3d printer so it's just all growth is good okay we're out of time i want to thank you for joining me today great thanks liz